Hey there, I'm Christopher Schoenwald, and welcome to Life As A, a show intently focused on helping people find their professional pathway by exploring and unearthing the details of jobs from around the world. It goes without saying, our future is invariably tied into our youth. I mean, the values, knowledge, and skills they pick up and develop along the way end up setting the course for future generations. Another truism would have to be the fact that our world, as far as demands, challenges, and opportunities are concerned, is surely within a constant state of flux. What was once a must-have skill and ability 30 years ago could very well be less in demand now. And of course, the opposite applies, in that other abilities which were not overly considered critical years ago can suddenly take on new significance. And take the day and age that we're shifting into now, within the 21st century. The IT era is based less around physicality and more towards communicative competencies, as well as that of other soft skills. So, you would assume that we as a culture would be doing everything in our power to foster such new skills within youth. You'd think that mainstream contemporary educational systems and curricula are brimming with opportunities for children to increase their competencies in these areas. Well, sadly, this is far from the case. Education systems, as far as curriculum, focus, and approach, are much more closely aligned in structure to that of the early 19th century. That being said, there are outliers within the world of education which recognize such folly and are doing all that they can to better serve the needs of young learners, communities, and societies at large. On the show today, we have one such guest who is deeply passionate about these issues and will treat us all to some much-needed perspective. All right, welcome to the show. So, Peter Phillips is a Bali-Indonesia-based educator and founder of the Open Flow Learning Center, an immersive and experientially oriented learning center for developing children. The staff at OpenFlow curate a daily organic design of how language, mathematics, and science are approached. The underpinnings of this are tied to the belief that children will arrive at these places as a natural consequence of their development and comfortable relationship with place and people. Emphasis is on developing children's values, attitudes, skills, and knowledge through notions of interconnectedness with nature and one another. And these foundations are applied and delivered through the basis of inquiry, STEAM, science, technology, engineering, arts, mathematics, and project-based learning. Further, the center prides itself on its integration with conservation organizations and communities across Bali. Now, Peter himself holds a Bachelor of Primary Education and a Bachelor of Arts in Elementary Education and Teaching from the University of Newcastle, and has had working experiences in both Australia and Indonesia. And he brings a diverse skill set through the numerous educational organizations he has helped to grow. From his experience within collectives of deep thinkers and dynamically creative people across marketing and content creation, Peter is well positioned to bring exponential change to the world of education, business, and leadership. He communicates beyond societal norms, bridging modern marketing with authentic storytelling and personal connection. So with all that said, Peter, it's an absolute pleasure to welcome you to the show. Hey, how are you doing? Really well, Christopher. Thank you so much for having me. I love what you're doing with life as a podcast. It's fantastic, yeah. the diversity, so it's nice to be a part of it. Thank you. 
Thanks. Yeah, I'm really excited to have you on today. I mean, this is a, a topic that applies, you know, to, to all of us, quite frankly, right? And concerns our youth and, and everything moving forward that, uh, yeah, I was really eager to uh, to speak with you about this because I greatly admire a lot of what you're doing as well. And uh, the research on everything that you and your center stands for is just so intriguing. And uh, if we can expand those conversations and allow more people to hear it, all the better. So, yeah, I'm really excited to get into it. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I think there's a, there's a lot to cover. So let's see how we go. Yeah. 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 Well, with that in mind, why don't we just jump into it? I do have the first segment lined up and it's something called coloring Wikipedia. And basically this is a segment as my listeners will know, when I just read off a definition of the guest profession, I like to do it for a few reasons. One, it kind of brings every speed about what the guest does. And then sometimes too, Wikipedia just nails it with its definition of what, you know, how they define the job. And other times it's just off. And then, you know, quite frankly, I think as well, when we take on these positions, we put our own stamp on how we do things. And I think all of this added up just sort of, you know, allows for an interesting discussion to come about. So with that in mind, I do have you down here for an educator, and it is a very catch-all sort of definition. But uh, I'll just read that off. And within the context of all that you do, maybe you can uh, comment afterwards. Does that sound sure. good? Yeah, sounds good. Perfect. All right, here we go. Educator. An educator is a person who helps students to acquire knowledge, competence, or virtue. Teachers may provide instruction in literacy, in numeracy, craftsmanship, or vocational training, the arts, religion, civics, community roles, or life skills. Formal teaching tasks include preparing lessons according to a Greek curricula, giving lessons, and assessing pupil progress. So there it is. Again, quite general, but first take, what do you think of that? I think it's interesting. For me, the initial feeling that I have or the response from that is it's, it's a little bit too constricting. It's a little mm. bit too confining. Even mm. using the word educator and then going straight into teacher or teaching, there's different connotations which come from that. And I, I, I like to think that educating or being an educator is much more broad than that. It's not just about defining curriculum areas. It's not just about defining outcomes. It's actually looking at the human being in front of you and saying, what do I know about them now? What am I yet to know about them? What are my curiosities or what are the mysteries of that person? And where am I leading them towards in the journey that we have together? Mm. So I think that for me is a much more spot-on definition of education, an educator, and that's kind of how I see myself and breaking free from that mold of teachers. And I know a lot of teachers are, are looking to kind of break free of that mold too, which I think is an interesting thing to expand upon later perhaps. Yeah, it sounds like the, like the, the, the aspect or the notion of humanizing it a little bit more. I don't know, that's what I'm kind of picking up from what you're, you're communicating there. Is that my understanding? Absolutely. There? Yeah, totally. Definitely. It's, the, it's, you know, the age of personalization and individualization. And yeah. any child, as, as many of the listeners and yourself would know, and myself as, as parents, when the child looks up at you and looks at you in this sense of awe and wonder about who you are as a person, whether you're a father or a teacher, that's a very, you know, that's a very important role to play in society. And yeah. to be able to hold back and actually say, well, let's see the genius of this individual unfold. Because within a system of 500 children or 50 children or five children, each one of them has an individual genius, just like each and every one of us. Well said. I think that definition, at least for me, when I'm you know, reading it off myself and even pondering it a little bit more deeply, it does kind of like harken back to what I was reading off of the, uh, the bio or speaking of the bio in terms of 
you know, early 19th century sort of education, almost like that factory line sort of approach, you know, to just pumping out, pumping out mm -hmm. the knowledge. And yeah. uh, the students are just there to be taking it on. And it was just a yeah. one-way sort of, you know, transaction in essence. Whereas, yeah, things are shifting. Things are different now. And <laughs> our systems need to, to adjust as well. But you're right. I mean, this is probably something that's going to come up later in the conversation. So in terms of adding anything else to the definition? Uh, I think that's probably the biggest one. But also looking at, you know, when we're looking at as a teacher, there are so many things that you have to almost define and you're accountable for. So breaking free of that and looking towards the future, we're kind of saying, well, there's only a finite amount of things which you can measure. And we're really good at measuring things. And we're really good at, you know, ticking the boxes and making sure that we see, you know, where we've progressed from A to B, for example, or from grade one to grade six. But what about the things that are very difficult to measure, like emotional intelligence or communication and, you know, collaboration and all of these other words which are so crucial for now in the 21st century but these are the things are the soft skills as, as developing human beings that are going to go into very diverse places of work that we need to look at in terms of well maybe those things kind of defy measurements a little bit maybe it's a continual growth cycle until we go to the grave for example and that's that's a life process education is a life process no yeah, well said I think, you know, the way this, this talk is lining up, even those early stages here is, is quite compelling. It's quite fascinating. So I'm really excited to, to dive into a little bit more in terms of like a daily sort of, I don't know, workload for you. Like what, what would that entail? I guess maybe if we could paint a picture here for listeners, you know, what, what makes your place unique and different? Sure. I think um, so if I can go off the back of today, because today's still going. Um, today's been very much looking at lining up a lot of recording things that are happening. And we have a big focus on translating what we're actually doing because it's, it's, we're kind of in that two and a half year phase of growth where there's a lot of activity happening. And it's how you kind of condense that into interpretable uh, sharings about what we're doing. So, for example, you know, this afternoon we did a, a project based learning professional development with the team of educators, just refreshing those things and, and, Mm -hmm. kind of cleaning our, cleaning our perspective and saying, well, let's have a little look at what we're doing now and remember why we're doing that. Remember, it's a process. We're not looking to finish the lesson in one day or one week. Um, so today's been about professional development, lining up some, um, some marketing, some social media type things to, to start communicating and meeting a couple of people about possible collaborations at the Learning Centre. And yeah, parent visits coming along checking out the learning center and, and daily operations of, um, you know, maintenance and things like that. So for me personally, it's a super dynamic, diverse day from, from yeah. go to finish, which mm. is really fantastic. So, yeah, most definitely. I'm sure you can derive a lot of reward from that. I think like in the course of, you know, having this program as well, the people that I've been encountering, a lot of them, the more hats that they're wearing, the higher degrees of satisfaction that they're getting from the jobs. Of course, at times there can be stressful moments, obviously, but it's these different challenges along the way that really kind of fuel them and in a strange way, in a roundabout way, almost fuel them for their next job, which could be completely different than the one they've just completed. You know, it's, it's that sort of freshness to it. I would suspect that maybe that would apply to somebody like yourself and what you're doing. Totally. I mean, just sitting down and, and having lunch with one of the kids today. So being able to actually take a breath and remember that connection is still an important part of the day. And to be able to sit with them and listen to them about 
their inquiry on, and they've been making some things in food science about pasta and what's the difference between pasta and noodles and spaghetti and all of these different things, talking yeah. to a five-year-old yeah. and them making all of these things. Well, I think they're the same, but they're a little, they're a little bit different. And the conclusion was, yeah, they're the same, but different. <laughs> there you so go. Things like that, where you yeah, can apply that in so many different story. elements of your, your adult life, but you know, remembering that it is a place of learning first and foremost, and, and yeah. the children that we serve is, you know, often unlock the keys to maybe some blockages in other elements of the workplace or, you know, things you might be struggling with as a professional. Yeah. Well, in terms of, I guess, getting, you know, kind of transitioning over to, to the children themselves in the, the curriculum and the program that you have in place there, again, I kind of alluded to some of these things when I was introducing you, but maybe you could just paint, you know, a little bit clearer of a picture than what I was able to provide. What makes your center unique from that perspective, from the, the, the perspective of the students, I suppose, or even the parents kind of viewing it? Mm. Well, maybe I can start by saying that the amalgamation of what we are doing is really a consequence of many different educational philosophies, wonderful people from, you know, early 20th century, looking beyond that of human psychology and the evolution of human beings, looking at, um, you know, educational philosophers like Rudolf Steiner, Maria Montessori, the Reggio Emilia approach, and really picking those beautiful golden threads, which are all centered around unlocking the potential of children and human beings. Because in the very, very foundational years, if we have a wonderful place in order for children to flourish, then the possibilities are endless. And so for us at OpenFlow Learning Center, it really is, I guess, holding onto a common evolutionary thread through, through education that we've, we've grasped in the middle of the, the pandemic in 2020. And myself and my colleague, um, Dr. Nick Lin, who we work closely with, to be able to unite our geniuses and to say, well, here's a wonderful approach and with the families that have come along and we'll be able to bring education forward into a different age. And, you know, out of that movement, I'm not saying it's uh, negative or it's, it's a wrong way of doing things, but it's complementary. This is complementary. This is, you can also do this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's not, it's not putting ourselves in segregation and saying, okay, we have a little island and it's wonderful paradise here, like Bali actually is a wonderful paradise. <laughs> <laughs> but it is saying, yeah, we're an island, but there's many ships which come along. There's many planes flying over. There's wonderful, wonderful things happening around the world. So this is our contribution to a shift in educational consciousness, if you like. All right. Well, I would like to kind of continue this back and forth and maybe shift over into a new segment here if we could, Peter. Q&A discovery, basically. And this first question here, I kind of want to return back to you a little. I mean, listeners love the backstory and, and how people sort of evolved in their professions. And I understand that, uh, you know, you, you've got a lot of your education while you were in Australia and uh, eventually made your way to Indonesia and into Bali in particular. But maybe you could shed a little bit more light on the, the connection there between those two countries and, uh, and what ultimately led you to founding, you know, the, the school that you have now. Yeah, I'd love to. I mean, my heart kind of lies here talking about the evolution of, of generations and people. So if I can start there, my, my mother is Balinese and our heritage goes back generations and generations on the same on the same block of land, if you like. Mm. Um, so part of the Majapahit dynasty from India, flowing all the way through down into to southern Indonesia, 
to the East Indies and eventually landing in Bali. So for me, that's a wonderful, wonderful memory to hold on to because I don't know what that is like. I don't know what that evolution of my forefathers and grandparents and great, great ancestors went through in order for me to be here. So it's the same on my father's side, who's Australian. So really being curious about that and ultimately leading to it's curious about myself and who, who I am. I kind of, as you said, grew up in Australia and worked in Australia and didn't go to university until I was a bit later, 24 years of age, and had to do a bridging course to get into university because I basically dropped out of high school and did creative subjects like photography and mm. all things like that. And, and then eventually fell in love with education and, and, and being with children and, and the profession itself which led me to uh, a Rudolf Steiner school or a Waldorf school. And I was there for eight years and I worked as a class teacher. And in that system, you actually take your class from a grade one and you follow them through until grade six or grade seven. Okay. And that was just incredibly eye-opening and heart-opening and mind-opening, that evolution of progression in the children. But if I can be a little bit more selfish in me as as a person (laughs) (laughs) and a professional, if you like, was just totally life-changing and the beautiful aesthetic quality in which, uh, you know, an education system like Waldorf Education has in the arts and um, performance space and so on. So that really started to, I guess, channel where I was, where I was coming and, and then eventually finished up there and I came over to Bali and I worked in a quite prestigious school over here for a year and a half and then COVID came and then even before then, we had set the initial steps of, of founding OpenFlow, um, as I said, with my colleague, Dr. Nicolene, and then that was the huge catalyst that we had. Mm-hmm. And, and so now it's, I could not have planned this and it was not on the horizon. And, and just listening to yourself earlier about you know, being there for 20 years and after the year plan trip, yeah. and uh, that kind of makes me a little bit scared about, okay, maybe this is 20 years, <laughs> yeah. but also very excited at the same yeah. time. So that's where I think a lot of other factors, if you like, come into come into account, but really like starting to lay some roots here and say, well, there's some wonderful, wonderful things we can do in a place like this and contribute back to back to community and, and family here also. Because mm-hmm. the basis of our, our educator team is Indonesian too. Okay. Okay. Thanks for sharing that. In terms of, I guess, the approach, you know, your educational approach, obviously, you just sort of like speaking of your past experiences probably influenced that to a certain degree. I'm wondering as well whether it was, you know, part of this general sort of almost like a malaise that a lot of people are starting to develop or feel towards the traditional form of education right now, which again, you know, is kind of hearkening back to early 19th century in in its approach and almost like factory like. (laughs) <laughs> efficiency that it's it was built to kind of produce and in in speaking in this conversation already we've recognized that you know children probably don't benefit from that approach necessarily maybe maybe they did back in those days but not right now it just doesn't fit the day and age that we're living within was that mm-hmm. also kind of a catalyst for you know deciding to, to move forward and and start your own school absolutely i mean if i can say that you know, a hint of rebelliousness comes out in me as an educator. And I've, with all respect to the people that I've, I've worked with and mentors and so on, a lot of the 
the huge learnings for myself have been in what not to do. And I think that's really, really interesting as a personal professional reflection. Out of associating with other people, out of you know, developing an emotional intelligence to work collaboratively with other people and to understand that diversity is extremely key in any workplace, um, just as it is in a family, to be able to take those things and say, well, okay, I understand the intention behind that, yeah. but I'm going I'm to try it differently. I'm going to try it unique to my way of doing things. Mm-hmm. And that very much, you know, bring that back to the children, going back to your question, is they don't know a lot about the world that we know about the world. So what I mean by that is we've gone through a whole period of time and had that traditional education. We see the similarities of where education was when we were at that age and where parts of it still are now. And a considerable amount of time has changed there. Mm -hmm. And the evolution of children and child development and media and all sorts of different factors which come Mm -hmm. into account makes that shift uh, or that gap really, really, really obvious. And that, that right there was the point of entry, if you like. Well, let's bring the, the little tribe that we have, if you like, or those families that were really aligned with wanting something different, who, who are really intrigued by that and holding a space for their children to experience something else, inevitably and eventually entrusting you with that. And that's a huge responsibility, whether it's one child or, you know, 35 or 40 children or 500 children. Mm. It's the same principle throughout. It's just harder and more, much more challenging to maintain that, that quality, if you like, that level of quality if you have a school of 500 children yeah. and you have to yeah. manage the, the adults and so on. Yeah. So this micro lab school setting, it's, okay, the issues are here coming from the people. We need to sort it out in a wonderful, wonderful way, which is, which is growth. Mm-hmm. I like that. And I really like that point that you raised about, you know, recognizing the fact that the the day and age that we're living in right now is very much different than what it was in the past. And there's all these different contextual layers that are, are in there that influence, you know, how children are brought up into this world, essentially, and what is best for them now is certainly going to be pretty different than what it was back in the day, right? So it would seem kind of silly, or, you know, almost crazy, dare I say, to, to hold values from a previous time to a generation now with all these different, you know, contextual influences that are rearing their heads, it would make sense to recognize some of the challenges that children face right now and build systems that are going to allow for the right kind of development to take place. Mm. You know, I think of things like technology and all the influences there and distractions and smartphones and different things like, you know, connecting to nature, connecting to the world, the physical world around them, letting them explore it, you know, rather than drilled into their heads and studying out of textbooks. I mean, if there's opportunities for real life learning experiences, that's what they're sort of craving anyway. Mm -hmm. So if we can Mm -hmm. find ways to allow for this sort of natural curiosity to take shape, it seemingly, you know, allow for learning opportunities to flourish. So I really like that point. I just want to pick up on one thing you said there, Christopher, about education systems. And when you really look at that, so just, you know, ask yourself a question, what is, what is an education system? Okay, but inevitably within that system, you have human beings who are operating the system. So we're talking about educators coming back to your initial Wikipedia definition, educators. This is something which also we need to focus a lot more on in terms of educator development, how you, how you assist, assist educators to better understand the developing child, better understand the power of questioning 
the better understanding of allowing time and space to live in that world of imagination and curiosity and inquisitiveness and allow them to have their energetic spirits and allow them to be simply them because they have their nuances. And we know this with the state of the world, mental health, all sorts of things that, that you know, almost in, if they say, at pandemic proportions, which are, which are just rife around the world and people are putting their hands up and saying, okay, we need to teach the kids better. We need to teach them this class. We need to teach that class. Well, let's just take a backward step and say if we foster that environment through educators, you know, living that or imbuing themselves with that archetypal human being of truth, goodness, beauty, um, integrity, all of those characteristics, then, wow, what a world that would be. Yeah. And there, you know, I know ideals may not be, uh, may, may not ever be realized, but they're definitely worth striving for. 100%, 100%. Maybe to kind of highlight what you guys are doing and, and in terms of the difference, I mean, again, like I had the, the privilege of being able to visit your website and just seeing some of the imagery of you know, the school itself, you know, the, the physical surroundings of your school, you know, how it, it appears, how it's built, how it's different then again, a, a traditional school, maybe you could share with listeners a little bit more about that. You know, how is your school different from a physical standpoint, but then also from a curriculum standpoint as well? I mean, if we could lightly sort of get into it, I know we're- Sure. Well, physically, if I was to paint a picture for you of walking into the school or the learning center, you wouldn't know where to start mm-hmm. because there's no fences, uh, because there's very, very few enclosed structures. So why is that? And, you know, initially we would have some parents come along and say, oh, wow, it's such a beautiful environment. We love the banana and coconut trees and it's so tropical barley. But where's the classrooms? And I would say, well, at the moment we're standing under a super, super beautiful one. It's about 200 years old. It's a type of teak tree. And if we go down a few hundred metres down the stairs, then we're sitting at the river, which has been flowing since the eons of time. So my point is... You know, and you see this in, in architecture also. How do you invite nature into the space? So these biophilia or biophilic principles. Mm-hmm. How are you not segregated from nature where you go out to the garden where you actually you're in the garden? You're in, you're in the world classroom. You're in yeah. nature. Yeah. The, you know, biomimicry teaches us if we look at nature in a particular way, those fundamental principles or how, you know, collective colonies of ants work or the collective intelligence of bees. You know, all of these principles we can take if we immerse our children in nature. Because this awakens uh, almost uh, inexplicitly, it awakens their capacities to think and critical think and problem solve and question and become curious about the world. Mm -hmm. And that's that's the true gift of nature, which adults have to relearn or remember. So what does that mean when you remember something? You're becoming one with your childhood memories again. You're going back to that time and place where you can smell, taste, remember that light shining on your face. And these are the, these are the you know, embodied memories which unlocks neurologically wonderful pathways in, in the neurological system. Mm. So that's, part, that's largely the reason of creating a very minimalistic uh, built structures and immersing ourselves in the environment. Yeah, yeah, I love that. I love that. Also, again, in researching, you know, for this talk, did see on your website something called the four pillars approach to education. And perhaps you can fill listeners in on what that means and how you pragmatically go about teaching Mm. those things, those values. 
So again, coming back to, I love looking at architecture principles and, and all different, different methods to make sense of the world, if you like, and to be able to translate in, in the way which my mind kind of sees these things. So the four pillars are upholding the rest of the structure. You have your foundations, yes, which are the human beings, I believe, in an education system. And then these four pillars are very much the philosophies, if you like. So if you take them, you know, if I go in an order of inquisitive minds is one of them. So if you watch a two, three-year-old, well, if you go even further back than that, you remember when your children were crawling on the ground, go further back than that. When your child first realizes that their limbs come past their, their face and they're enraptured by that movement and then all of a sudden it's gone they don't know where it is because they don't have the you know the, the proprioceptive movement to understand yet so that is naturally in us to be inquisitive right so nature teaches us to be inquisitive so acknowledging and honoring the inquisitiveness of each and every individual that that's not a linear that's not a compartmentalized thing that we can put a child in this box that box there's a whole spectrum and you know, probably yet to see in, in futures also. So then that moves into curiosity and motion, right? It's not a stagnant curiosity. This is trial, test, project-based learning, question, all these different things. So we, we apply those curiosities and then that moves into energetic spirits. So what I mean by, what we mean by energetic spirits is well, you bring something wonderful to the table with your temperament and your ideas and your knowledge and your thinking, just as someone else who maybe doesn't, you know, voice their opinion as much. Maybe we need to listen. Maybe we're learning how to listen better. So within your energetic experience, your energetic beings, we realize that we're a fluctuation of energies of, you know, introversion and extroversion and all the different, you know, spectrums in between, which leads to simplicity in being. And that is, there is only one, there will only ever be one of you, ever. And that's a phenomenal concept to actually think about. For <laughs> yeah, so yeah. anyone that sits in front of us, wow, the simplicity in being you is already genius. Yeah. So if I take a step back and ask you a question or really listen to you or observe you and get to understand you better, then I'm going to have to unlock capacities in myself. And if I'm genuinely seeking that as an educator in education, then the possibilities are going to open up before me. So those four pillars are very almost philosophical, but they're very rooted in uh, almost, you know, energetically embodying those things in everyday practice. Mm. And I love that too. I mean, I, I think at this point now, I'm sure listeners are getting a, a much clearer understanding of what separates, say, you know, an education system that you're developing or you have developed, as opposed to what's currently, you know, mainstream right now. And it's such a different approach, such a different approach. And I, I think too, it's probably becoming quite clear as far as the value of a system like this, of what you're you're you know promoting and the value that it can provide to children specifically. You know, how they can handle the world, how they can interpret things within the world, how they can interpret relationships amongst one another. And uh, again, these are things that are these soft skills that I alluded to off the top, too, that I think are becoming even more critical, you know, with each passing day. I mean, mm -hmm. our, the world that we're living on, again, is this information technology age, right? It's all about communication. It's all about how we interact with one another. And if we don't have the skills, if we're not imbuing these sort of skills 
within our children, then how can we expect to have, you know, this bright, shiny future for ourselves moving forward? Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I really, really appreciate that approach. And I really appreciate those comments on that. As far as the children themselves, I mean, probably, you know, you can add these things up and get an idea of what the children or how the children are benefiting. But I think it'd still be worth hearing. Like, what, what, what are you seeing in the children as they develop, as they age and go through some of these programs that you're setting up? What are you mm. observing in them? There's, there's one parallel which we observe very quickly in the, the short term and also in the long term. And that is the power of the opportunity for them to have a voice and to have a choice. Mm. Okay, so we've found this in children that have been at the learning center for coming from all sorts of different traditional systems or, you know, alternative schooling, all sorts of different backgrounds. And we've found over the first few days that, you know, our reflection question is, well, how are you finding the space or even just observing in, in the sharing circle? I really like how I get to choose. Yeah. I really like how I get to say what I want to do in parts of my day. Mm. So the evolution of that, which we've seen in some children that have been with us for two and a half years, is that now talk about personalized learning for themselves. Talk about activating themselves. Yeah. Talk about looking at their curiosity and saying, okay, there's possibilities. Why? Because knowledge lives everywhere. I don't have to know everything as a teacher. Yeah. We can tap into you know, all sorts of amazing physicists online through online courses, all sorts of MOOCs, massive online courses. Knowledge lives everywhere now. Mm -hmm. But the online space cannot teach the values, skills, and attitudes as effectively as this. Yeah. And that's where the true power is in realizing first. So again, there's always so much focus on, on the children and the kids, yeah? Mm -hmm. But realizing this as an educator, as a teacher, as a principal, mm -hmm. as a board member of a school, realizing that it's actually investing time, energy, space in educators and teachers, remembering, reuniting, going back, actually, you know, physically going out into nature. Yeah role-playing these things and sharing circles and, and professional development on those things, which, which is really, really exponentially key because I can talk about, you know, one or two children or 15 children here, but what happens if you talk about 15 educators and applying these principles with 15 educators, then you have multiplied by 20, 30 per classroom. And then, then, you, then you have exponential change. Yeah, there it is. Listening to all of this, it must be incredibly rewarding for them as well to be contributing to an ecosystem such as this. I mean, just the rewards that they'd be deriving from a sort of selfish standpoint of just like what they're learning constantly and what they're getting out of it, you know, aside from what they're giving, you know, yeah. if you're trying to develop a system where it is symbiotic, I mean, that that's the best of both worlds right there is, is, is that right, where you feel like you're almost getting something out of this by just giving you know, giving and teaching and educating, but you're also deriving a lot from it as well. I mean, that's the, the best. That's certainly what I'm sure anyone would be striving for. Yeah, but I can also say the, the underlying truth behind that, which is just below the surface, it doesn't take much for it to come out, Christopher, it's just like just there, is that it's so incredibly challenging. Mm -hmm. If you are set in your craft, if you've had a certain amount of experience, if you've been brought up in a system like that, if you've gone through high school, university, and then you, you are empowered with the freedom to really be yourself. Freedom comes with responsibilities. Yeah, yeah. And 
what responsibility means is I have to learn what my capacity and my ability to respond to things are. So, you know, as, as educators, team members, it's extremely confronting at times too to really look back and say, hang on, there's a lot of projections in what I'm saying about behavior of children or in terms of time management of myself or maybe the school or, you know, or Pete isn't giving me enough time to plan. Mm-hmm. Well, let's just have this unpack that a little bit. Mm-hmm. So where's, where's your responsibility as the adult in that, as, as, you know, the professional also? So that can be quite confronting at times. And I think that's a good truth to kind of just, you know, put there, uh, put a line in the sand there and say, you have to want to cross that also. Mm-hmm. And if you cross that, then it's a wonderful, wonderful path of, I guess, self, self-realization, mm-hmm. which helps you in many parts of your life. But it's, it is, it's a, it's a hugely uh, if I say it's a process of metamorphosis. Mm, it sounds like it. a lot of philosophical sort of juggling around of ideas, essentially, and, and trying to rebalance things, I suppose, as, as an mm-hmm. educator. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, Absolutely. and again, it's probably it's a developmental sort of sort of projection. It's little by little. It's not going to happen mm-hmm. overnight, obviously. So mm-hmm. it's a process, no doubt. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, it's been a really interesting discussion thus far. And I think we are heading into this water cooler story segment here, which for guests. It's basically where I just ask them to indulge listeners with a story relating to their profession. So I'd really love to, to hear what you have for us today, Peter. Yeah, well, I think I like hearing what's living. And yeah? this is currently what's what the, the history of becoming an educator and moving over here and founding a learning center in the middle of the, the pandemic and all sorts of uncertainties. And even to the point of being two and a half years in what is essentially a startup also. And having those, you know, I don't know. I don't know what other people and listeners I'd I'd be interested to hear, but I'm constantly questioning myself. And what I mean by that is, you know, uh, I'm not even talking about a self-confidence or something. I'm constantly questioning, okay, am I aligned with myself and how I see the world? Am I aligned with what I initially set out to do? Am I too far at the front that I'm not allowing space for other people to be in front and to listen to other ideas? Am I too you know, constantly keeping myself in, in check and questioning those things um, as a founder and also you know, my responsibilities with families and to make sure that it's a financially responsible place with all of the, the team here and staff here because, you know, they have children and they have families and, you know, all of those different responsibilities and, and driving the marketing and driving the, you know, the, the engagements with, with potential partners and so on like that, which is which is a huge task. And I can honestly say that sometimes I get so exhausted and I really just kind of have to sit. And I do, I have a sitting chair and I go, okay, <laughs> yeah. just like lock out the world for a minute and just let me get into my world and let those things, as what you said before, just let those things kind of sink into their spots. Yeah. That I, I'm okay. I'm yeah. breathing. I'm healthy. My family is healthy. The world is not collapsing. It's just my mind getting the better of me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So for me, in making sure that if I need to be my optimal best, then I know my surroundings will be too. If I'm peaceful and harmonious and clear and all of those different qualities in myself, then I'm going to exhibit that. If I'm totally here like this and I'm walking around like this, then that's going to come everywhere. So taking on that responsibility and, you know, in my house, there's, there's no mirrors but always constantly keeping myself in check and, and how, how I'm not walking around or because I could be deep in thought, but someone could, you know, interpret it in a way. Right, right. So right. 
it is for me just a wonderful process of controlling myself as as a developing human being also mm. and knowing that growth is you know exponential in two and a half years and the amount of things I've had to do that you know thinking about being coming from a teaching background well I think I've come through all sorts of uh, intense intense learnings and and workings of other areas of work which are yeah. you know so so incredibly valuable as a life process because I found that you know now I'm really able to help other people now other people are able to say hey what's your perspective on this okay let's talk yeah yeah they may don't have the answers but you know I'm really happy to listen yeah I think that's what it's all about, really, at the end of the day, you know, in any profession, whether it's within education, whether it's within business, whether it's in entrepreneurship, it's that it's that constant growth, it's that mm-hmm. constant sort of recognizing where you are in a particular moment, but then having, you know, sound enough mind and reasoning to kind of step back and at least observe, you know, maybe some of the, the, the healthy thoughts or ideas that are floating through your mind and some of the ones that aren't as mm-hmm. constructive or helpful and finding ways to kind of manage those emotions and whatnot. And I think that's really what it comes down to is how well you can kind of navigate that. But mm. uh, it sounds like to me, at least again, just from an outsider's perspective, it sounds like you, you have a, a good handle on it and uh, it, yeah, hats off to you. I mean, two and a half years of starting this and yeah, mm. wearing several different hats. It sounds like from the educator standpoint, from an entrepreneurial standpoint, from mm. a few different other standpoints as well, I'm sure in there that uh, yeah, uh, it is a challenge, but it sounds as though uh, you have the right mindset, though, at least it would seem, it would appear at least. So, yeah, well, I think just looking at it in terms of paying attention to what it is happening yeah. now. Yeah. And, you know, I could be a million different places in my imagination. I can be in an infinite amount of uh, places in my memory, but ultimately I'm here at this point in time. So, what do I actually have to do now? outside of myself but through myself in order to move things along and then that will shift mm-hmm. the future possibilities too and maybe even rewire some of that you know things that we're dragging from behind us if you like yeah yeah no well said i think that's gonna be really helpful for a lot of listeners again mm-hmm. regardless of whatever they're doing in their own lives professionally speaking so yeah that was really nice Mm. Well, I would like to shift into our last segment here, crystal ball segment, as the name implies, you know, we're usually looking towards the future trends, predictions, so on and so forth. And um, I did see this insightful video of you again on your website, speaking about how you personally got started and how you ended on up on this path. We kind of covered this a little bit today. And in terms of how you discover these gifts of an independent form of education and what it can bring. And again, we've kind of touched on this already. But here's the question in terms of the segment. How do you see this sort of, I don't know, this this sector evolving, basically, these independent forms of education that aren't mainstream? How optimistic are you of this becoming bigger, it catching on? It may be, I don't know, clawing a little bit into the mainstream somehow, Mm -hmm. some way. You know, do you think we're going to see some full-scale changes eventually? Or is that still a ways off? I think 100%. If I can go that far already, if I think about how, you know, how technology is actually truly changing the face of the world in terms of decentralization. And if we think about that in terms of education, Mm -hmm. independent forms of education are actually decentralized forms of education. And if you go to something like, you know, briefly go to something like NFTs, for example, Mm -hmm. there's been a huge kind of wave and now it's kind of filtering out all this or the, you know, the money-making scams and all of that, but the software or the ideology behind that 
and what that can mean for real-world application is really, really fascinating. So you apply those things, and this is why I'm so curious, outside of education, looking at things like the decentralization of finance, if you like, blockchain technology, the software behind that. So what do those principles mean for education systems? Well, it's the decentralization of education. Mm-hmm. And that's fantastic because you have you know, like-minded people from across the world where all of a sudden you have a network and you can be you. You can be your form of independent education and we can be our form of education, independent education, but there's a common thread there. And that is in serving the needs of the people who are in that place, because that's always going to be different. You mentioned this in the beginning of a place-based setting. Mm-hmm. There's different uh, two kilometers away, let alone 2,000 kilometers away. So having that place-based approach to education, thinking about education in the future, and what decentralization means, but through the realization of educators looking at education, teaching in a different way, through approaching child development and human development and possibilities in terms of projects and curiosities and, and all sorts of nuances that children bring, then you have wonderful, wonderful possibilities tied in with, with connection and the fact that knowledge is everywhere. Yeah, yeah. So I'm really, really, really super eager at, at shifting the trajectory or speeding up the pace a little bit. Mm-hmm. So how do you do that? Well, it's through communicating in different way, different ways. And education, typically, okay, I'm the principal of the school and da-da-da-da-da, and I'm not, by no means, I'm not disrespecting that. But education needs to move with this impulse of, it's not an authoritative point of view. The only authority is truth. And it's the truth of the human beings that you're serving, whether they're educators, whether they're principals, directors, children, families, parents, that's the truth. And when you look at that and when you meet in the middle or if you hold that little magic space in the middle, if you draw this lemniscate picture where the the intersecting part is right in the middle, you can also be in totally opposite ends of the spectrum, then you have wonderful, wonderful possibilities. So I'm really excited to be a part of that. Well, I think on that note, I mean, that's the most optimistic tone that we could probably have right now and end on. So I don't want to go any further because I love that. (laughs) I love all that sentiment and I want to bottle it all up and maybe just close it off right there. But I must say, I mean, Peter, it's been an absolute pleasure. I've really enjoyed this conversation. It's just flown by. I can't believe we're already towards the end of it, but uh, Mm -hmm. I'm sure listeners are really going to appreciate everything that you've shared today. So thanks so much for joining the show. I appreciate you for facilitating. And I know the diversity of what you're sharing is, you know, super important to someone like myself to hear from different sectors too so the individuals that have been on it's a a diversity just like biodiversity in nature absolutely key yeah that's right that's right all right well for those interested in learning more about peter and his work of course you can check out his school the open flow learning center via their website you can also find them on instagram and linkedin and for reference, all this information will be included in the show notes. And also too, I mean, hey, if you like today's show, please be sure to share. It goes a long way. And so I think in the spirit of the discussion today, I mean, letting people know of different modes of education is so critically important to us, you know, advancing the agenda of finally instilling some change. And of course, too, you can rate, review and subscribe wherever you access your podcast. And also, if you have some time, head on over to YouTube. We did launch a channel over there within the last year. And we do have some videos of the conversations, much like we had today with Peter. And the interesting thing there is we will have some imagery associated with the talk. So you can kind of take it in in a different manner. 
And then finally, don't forget to tune into the next episode of Life As A, where we'll continue to explore and unearth the details of professions and the people behind them. I'm your host, Christopher Schoenwald. Until next time, stay curious about life and living.